Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to remember the last time you were in a movie theater. Board Game Blitz is sponsored by Gray Fox Games. This week, we're talking about movies. First, we discuss a couple games we've played recently, Eon's End and Riverside. Then, we talk about our top five favorite movies. And now, here are your hosts, Ambie and Crystal. Before we get into the episode, we have a couple of announcements. First, if you are listening to this the day that it releases on Thursday, tonight on our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash boardgameblitz, I, Ambi, and my husband Toby will be calling our collection on Twitch, on stream. So every year, except for last year, which we skipped, we do like a big call of our collection. And so we go through all our games and decide which ones to keep and which ones to get rid of. And we'll be doing that tonight. So you can watch if you want. That's going to be an exciting stream, honestly. Like this is this kind of thing intrigues me, and I imagine it will intrigue other people as well. Yeah, and it's at seven thirty p.m. Pacific. I'm not sure if I said that. Awesome. And then next weekend we are going to be part of the Tabletop Live Network Marathon for November, which is the one year anniversary of Tabletop Live Network. Yay! I can't believe it's been a year. So Tabletop Live Network started in November of 2020. It is a collaboration between board game Twitch streamers who are focused on diversity, inclusion, and other good stuff in the tabletop space, and especially making sure that board games are being featured prominently on Twitch. And the six streamers who were originally part of that very first TLN stream, including us, are all going to be part of this anniversary stream, along with some brand new streamers who have never been in a TLN marathon before. So November 27th and 28th. And our stream specifically is going to be November 27th, which is a Saturday at 8 p.m. Pacific time. So that is kind of late for those of you who are on the East Coast or over in Europe. But we are going to be playing mall madness in honor of black friday weekend because it's shopping (laughs) season everybody's getting ready for the holiday season and shopping is on everybody's mind so we're gonna play mall madness live for tln and i'm very excited about it yes and we'll be buying things in real life no just kidding (laughs) (laughs) yeah definitely we're we're going all out uh no (laughs) we would we would need uh more sponsors i think to make that Um, Although it would be really cool if we could, like, get some, like, Black Friday promo codes from, like, board game publishers or something to give out. I don't know. We'll we'll see. And you'll at least get to see us play Mall Madness, which is going to be pretty fun. Recently, I got to play Aeon's End, which is a deck building game from 2016. This was designed by Kevin Riley and published by Indie Boards and Cards. And my friend owns Aeon's End. There's also like a bunch of expansions and Aeon's End Legacy, which my friend owns. So he has a big box with a bunch of stuff in it, which is like like a bunch of cards, a bunch of different things. Uh, But I think what we played was all stuff from the base game of Aeon's End. But basically in Aeon's End, you are, it's a cooperative deck building game and you're fighting against a big bat bad boss <laughs> and you're trying to survive uh, keep your town alive and then kill the boss so to do that you have a deck of cards and then there's like a supply of cards in the middle that you can play cards to buy and then you get spells that you can use to attack you you play down spells in one turn and then you can attack with them the next turn but what's unique about this deck building game is like in a lot of deck building games 
you buy cards, you put them in your discard pile, and then you like shuffle back into your draw deck and get new cards the next turn. But in this game, there's no shuffling. So when you play cards and put them in your discard pile, you get to choose which order they go in your discard pile. And then you just flip it back over when you need to get your deck replenished. So like you kind of can plan out your combos. So they're like, oh, I want to have this card with this card. And then when you flip it back over, you'll draw those cards together and you can kind of like stack your deck to have really good hands that way. So that's pretty neat because shuffling takes a lot of time in a lot of deck building games. Um, like yeah. <laughs> when Toby and I both used to play Dominion a lot and then we started playing it online, like back when it was on Isotropic, which was like a text-based online website. And then we didn't like playing it in person anymore because it was too much shuffling. Yeah, that's why I've never played Oniram in its physical form uh because it's literally constant shuffling and I don't want to do that. Yeah, so this gets rid of that. And it's really interesting, like planning your cards, but it does add some like more time in in figuring out how to discard your cards. (laughs) So that that can add some like AP and stuff. Uh, Whereas, so so it feels a lot different than another deck builder because a lot of deck builders like you just, okay, you get your hand and then you decide what you're doing with that. But then in Aeon's End, you're deciding like how to set up your hand. So it's a lot more thought going into that. So it feels different than, than all the other deck builders I've played. Another thing is that the player order is that's the only thing that actually shuffles. Uh, there's a deck of cards that have your player orders and then like two of the nemesis cards, which is the bad player, the bad boss. And so each round, each player goes once and then the nemesis goes twice, but it's shuffled. So like you could go at the end of one round and the beginning of the other, the next one or vice versa. So there could be like a long time in between your turns or very little time in between your turns. And that that for me made it seem longer so I didn't particularly like that part. Like, like I was like, oh, I want to go next. Oh, I'm not yet that. Like, when am I going to go? <laughs> but I did I did like the, there, there were a lot of cool cards that to come up and like trying to make the combos. It was pretty difficult. We, we played two games on the, there's, there's a regular difficulty and an increased difficulty mode. Uh, we played two games on the increased difficulty mode, and then we played one on the regular. And we won the one with the regular, but we lost the other two, the first two that we played, because it got really hard um, <laughs> because we were on well, increased difficulty. I guess difficulty they, they, and... they uh, labeled it correctly then, yeah. calling it the difficult mode. <laughs> yeah, and then like your, your randomized players... Like each player that you have, you have a player character and they have like a special power um, and also a special card that you start with, different decks that you start with, depending on which player you start as. And those are randomized. So like we never had any healers, which I think made it harder. But if we had had healers, it probably would have been easier or like more doable on the increased difficulties. But yeah, uh, that's Aeon's End. It's, I'm not sure what to compare it to because it doesn't really feel like other deck building games I've played. Although I haven't played the cooperative deck building games like Legendary before, so I don't know if it feels like those because I think all the deck building games I've played are competitive. I feel like you would like... Well, I I, I don't think I've ever played just plain Legendary. I've only played mm-hmm. a couple of the different Legendary Encounters games and I really like those, but I'm not sure if you would like them or not. I don't know if I've ever played a game like that with you, but you like cooperative games in general, so... Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, but to- Toby doesn't really like the building games anymore, so we don't play them <laughs> that often. <laughs> so, yeah, but that's that's Aeon's End. 
tough deck building cooperative game. So there's a thing that I imagine happens to most gamers occasionally that I hadn't realized hasn't happened for me in a really long time. And that is when somebody brings a game to your house or a game night or whatever that you've never heard of before. And then you just get to learn it and play it. And I've, I I didn't realize that like, because I'm kind of so steeped in board game culture now that like, even if I haven't played a game, I've usually heard of it. Like, even if I don't know much about it, I've heard of it. And so here recently, a couple weekends ago, my friend Greg brought over a game to my house called Riverside, which is a game that came out in 2021. So this year from a new publisher called Chili Fox Games. So, and I looked on BoardGameGeek, they have no other listed games on BoardGameGeek. This is their first title. And I knew nothing about it before we learned it and played it. And my gosh, was it fun. I'm just gonna spoil it right now because (laughs) here's the thing, it's a roll and write game, which you all know I like, but I literally going into it, I was like, oh, it's a roll and write game. I own enough of those. So even if this is good, I'm, you know, whatever. I own enough roll and writes. But it's really, really fun. And now I want to buy it. So um, let me, uh, I want to give you a little bit of the flavor text that's listed on BoardGameGeek because I think it gives you a good idea of the theme of the game, which actually exists, unlike in some Roland Rights. So here we go. Far to the north, in a remote winter land, rivers are frozen most of the year. When the villages along the riverside eventually are accessible, a small river cruise company offers exotic tours like polar bear safaris, reindeer trips, ice fishing, and more. Lucky tourists may even get a chance to see the northern lights. You work as a tour guide trying to attract tourists to your guideboats for spectacular excursions. Okay, so... It's a roll and write game. These are difficult to describe in an audio format, but I'm going to try and do my best. The board for this game, there is a board, even though it's a roll and write, and it's modular. It's made up of these cards that you lay in two rows right next to one another to form this big, long path that the riverboat is going to go down. All of the players are basically on the same riverboat, and they're each operating their own tours and cruises out of that riverboat to see all these excursions. Every round, six dice get rolled, five main dice, and then one green die that does something separate. Based on the median value of the five main dice rolled, meaning whatever die is in the middle, all of the dice with numbers higher than that go up to a separate part of the layout and become dangerous to use. Whereas all of the dice that are at the median and below are can kind of be used normally. You have five little boats on your player board, and when you choose a die of the corresponding color to one of the boats, you start marking off passengers on that boat trying to fulfill tickets. Then the tickets will help you score in each boat depending on what excursions you send that boat on. Each boat is, like I said, a different color that matches a die, and it also matches different types of excursions that you can go on as the cruise passes them. The cruise will move uh, based on one of the dice that gets rolled every round, and so you don't quite know where it's going to end up every round, but you you have some flexibility in how far away from the cruise ship you can go with your excursions. Like, your player board has some special powers that will help you mitigate how far away from the cruise ship your excursion can be. When you score excursions for a particular color, you're multiplying the number of tickets you've already marked off on that boat, that color boat, by 
the point value listed on the excursion on the main board. And you can score each color three times, but each time you score it, it has to be higher than your previous score in that section. So if you go out on an excursion on the yellow boat and score really well, and you can't beat that score later, you won't get to score it again later. And those points will eventually get added together. So getting a one really good score might be enough, but you might actually want to score less early on so you can score more later. And similarly to other roll and write games like Gone's Shown Clever, when you're marking off the passengers in each of these boats, you also unlock the ability to mark off passengers in other boats. So if you fill in a line, it'll let you mark an X or two X's in a different color. And so you can kind of do that cool thing where you chain a lot of stuff together. Like, oh, I finished this line, which gives me two marks in that boat, which finishes that line, which gives me two marks in a different boat. And it's really satisfying. Each boat has a special ability that can be unlocked and used as well. I... <laughs> It felt different to me than a lot of roll and write games, which at this point, I don't think happens super often. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot. And I'm for the record, I'm not saying there are too many. I still want to see roll and write games. I love them. I think they're great. But for me personally, I was like, yeah, I own enough. But 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 uh, Riverside is so fun. So the designers of this game are, oh, I'm going to mispronounce your name. I'm so sorry. It's Eilif Svensson and Osmond Svensson. I would assume that they are related, but I don't know that for sure. Have they designed anything else? Let's see here. See. Oh, gosh, yes. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Ilif Svensson has designed a whole bunch of things. Yes. Okay. He co-founded Chili Fox Games with his brother. So I was at a correct. Oh, he also co-founded Aporta Games in 2014. And yeah, he's, uh, oh my gosh, he's responsible for some other games that I really like, like Trails of Tucana. This makes sense. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. He's designed a bunch of things I like. Okay, well, now it all makes sense. And if I'd known that, but hey, you know what? That was fun to go into Riverside blind and not have any idea what it was and really be delighted by it. The The way you choose dice each round is, is interesting and novel compared to most roll and write games. And I would highly recommend this one if roll and write is a genre of game you like. I would almost even recommend it if you typically don't like roll and writes because this one feels more thematic and interesting to me than a lot of other roll and rights do and it does have that like satisfying you know chaining actions into other actions thing that certain roll and rights do so that was riverside from new publisher chili fox games cool so did you look it up on board game geek before you played it or no. did you just oh you played it okay yeah i just played it i was like oh, i, I like blind. nice yeah, I don't which I don't. The last time I've done that. I know that's the thing. I was like, dang. I was like, I don't know anything about this, but yeah. I mean, yeah. When my when Greg was like, yeah, it's a roll and write. I was like, all right, yeah, bring yeah. it out. <laughs> like that. That's good enough for me. <laughs> After nearly six years of podcasting, I would say that a lot of our listeners probably feel like they know us pretty well. A lot of their knowledge about us relates to our opinions on board games. Would you say that's probably correct, Ambie? <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, well, like, I'm just saying, like, we don't talk about a lot of things outside of board games. We do occasionally that's touch true. on some stuff. And if you follow us, obviously, on social media or other places, you'll hear other little things about our lives. But I really enjoy when content creators that I love share 
other parts of their lives, um, mm -hmm. just to kind of give a little more of a well-rounded view of who they are and what they like. So to that end, today, Abby and I are going to do something we've never done before, and we're going to give you our top five favorite movies. Yay. And I'm kind of excited about this. This is off the grid for us, but uh, uh -huh. I it made me actually have to figure out what my top five movies are, which, like, <laughs> I <too>. knew... <laughs> I knew most of them, but like ordering them and that kind of stuff was for some of them was a little difficult. Yeah, ordering it is hard. And also my list might not be very well-rounded. <laughs> you know what? No, there is but no it... such thing as a, who, who needs well-rounded? If it's your favorite, it's your favorite. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> All right. Well, so let's start with my number five. My number five is a little bit trashy. <laughs> And I, it's a movie that came out in 2004 that I have loved ever since I first saw it. It stars Julia Roberts, Jude Law, Natalie Portman, and Clive Owen. So it's got a pretty stellar cast and it is called Closer. And it is a story about two couples and all of the shenanigans that those two couples get into. It's a weird movie and it's definitely not your traditional romantic comedy because... While there are some funny moments, it's mostly serious and the romance is sketchy at best. But I, for whatever reason, this this movie is infinitely quotable. And the proof of that is that, oh gosh, I don't remember his name. There's a guy who wrote for a whole bunch of, like he wrote songs for a bunch of bands in the early, two, like mid 2000s. And one of the bands he wrote for was Panic at the Disco. And on one of Panic at the Disco's albums, like half of the song titles were literally quotes from this movie. And... I, I like when I heard the names of those songs, I was like, wait, is that from Closer? And it is like, apparently the guy that writes these songs really liked Closer too. I don't know. Wow. But needless to say, uh, I can't really say many of the quotes here on this podcast because they're, they're not, <laughs> they're not super family friendly. Uh, so I'll just say if y'all uh, like movies that are kind of weird uh, and you like the actors and actresses I named, go check out Closer from 2004. <laughs> well, my list is going to be more family friendly than yours. Yeah, yeah, yours is going to definitely be more. Most of mine are not. Wait, hold on. Let me look. Do, are they? No, I mean, a couple of mine are kind of family friendly. Well, so my number five is uh, apparently my favorite Pixar movie. Uh, I ranked all of these on Pub Meeple. So. Yeah, and uh, so my number five is Up, which is a 2009 Pixar movie. A lot of people have probably seen this, so. but uh, there, there's a old, there's a couple. Like the first ten min minutes of the movie is is like a story about a, a boy and a girl, and then they grow old together, and then they they and want then everybody to go. cries. Yes, and That's everybody all you cries. Need to yes. say everybody cries yes. after the first ten minutes of up. <laughs> Basically, but like they wanted to go to Angel Falls. Well, they, it's called something else, but it's. It's basically Angel Falls, which is the highest uh, waterfall, which I've actually been to because it's in Venezuela and I lived there for a couple of years when I was a kid, but um, which is part of probably why I like it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's great. It has talking dogs, which are really cute and also ice cream. Like they have ice cream at Fenton's, which is a place in Oakland, which I've been to and it's very good. And they have like at, at the ice cream place, they have like pictures of up there because like <laughs> Pixar is in uh in the East Bay like their headquarters so they have like these local places in some of their movies which That's is cool. cool but yeah 
up is good first 10 minutes is is <laughs> it's great. It's, it's rough, sad. but yeah, no. <laughs> rough as in sad, not rough yeah. as in bad. <laughs> yeah, it's very good and very sad in the first ten minutes. When I was making my list, I realized that if you and I ever do decide to do a top five book list, I will have spoiled two of the entries on that list just by doing my <laughs> movie list because I have been very lucky in my life that books I love have been turned into movies that are spectacular. And that doesn't mm. always happen when you make a movie out of a book. So my number four, one of my favorite books of all time and also one of my favorite movies of all time, it is Life of Pi. Life of Pi is the story of a boy from India named Pai Patel whose family owns a zoo and they decide to sell all of the animals to a zoo in Canada. And so they load all of the animals and their whole family up on this giant, you know, barge, like huge boat that transports lots of things, like similar to the one container ships, I think that our board games end up on. And that boat sinks into the ocean. This is not a spoiler. This is like, this is the, like, the story. This is what everybody knows about this. And Pi ends up on a life raft with a Bengal tiger a hyena and one other animal oh and a gorilla and it's him trying to survive and the movie adaptation is absolutely brilliant there were years and years where like it kept getting like delayed and passed from director to director and like i was so sad because it was it seemed like it was never going to happen and then ang lee picked it up and directed it and it turned into this most brilliant beautiful movie and i highly highly recommend it it is gorgeous the cgi in it to, for the animals is really spectacular and the story is amazing i can't say too much else about the story because you really just have to see it but that's why my number four is life of pi my number four you might guess if, if you've seen like my other YouTube channel and like <laughs> other things like that a lot of my list might have this uh, studio. Um, but my number four is The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is a Disney movie from 1996. So Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's like as a kid, I think when I watched it, I didn't like it that much, but I watched it again as an adult and it's a lot better because it's kind of like, weird and scary for kids I think uh, it's not really like a typical kids movie for Disney it's it's very realistic it's about a like Quasimodo Notre Dame um, and the villain is like the most realistic villain which is really scary as an adult because he's uh Frollo is is basically trying to exterminate all of the gypsies which is very scary yeah but the movie I think is done very well and they have some really good songs Hellfire is one of my favorite songs because of it's like the villain song in this and, and like Disney old Disney had really good villain songs I think which is part of why I like movies the movies is the villain songs um but yeah like yeah if you haven't seen it since you were a kid it's worth watching as an adult and that's Hunchback of Notre Dame so if you haven't seen it since you were a kid you, you suggest a rewatch. what if You've never seen it at all. Like <laughs> then, me. <laughs> then you could probably watch it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, it's I think I, I don't remember like there were just a few Disney movies in the late nineties that I think mm -hmm. I just skipped over. Like I don't know if I was just kind of done with Disney at that point or I was yeah. busy or what. And this is just one of the ones that passed me by and I've just never watched. And so uh but yeah, I I should I should watch The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I think mm -hmm. it did seem scary to me as a kid and that might yeah. be why I didn't watch it, but I'll try and check it out. 
All right, my number three is going to also spoil something on my future possible book list if we ever do it. Although the movie and the book do not carry the same name, but the movie is called Adaptation. Adaptation is a movie that came out in 2002, written by Charlie Kaufman. And the reason I'm mentioning the writer and not the director, who is Spike Jones, who you all would also know, likely if you're from America, but Charlie Kaufman also wrote a couple of other really popular movies around the same time. He is best known I think for being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He actually wrote a movie that came out in 2020. I don't even remember what it was called, but I tried watching it on Netflix and I couldn't even get past the first like 30 minutes. So I don't know what that says about me or him. But when he wrote Adaptation, the movie Adaptation is Charlie Kaufman writing about himself trying to adapt the book the orchid thief into a movie so it's very like if that confused you then that then good because it should <laughs> like he was struggling with writer's block while trying to adapt susan orlean's novel the orchid thief which is spectacular and you should read it he was trying to adapt that book into a movie and was struggling and so he turned the movie into a story about himself struggling to adapt the book into a movie and it is so amazing nick cage plays Charlie Kaufman, like the writer, and he also plays Charlie Kaufman's twin brother, who doesn't exist in real life, but in the movie he has a twin brother for some reason. And so Nick Cage is playing twin brothers in this movie, and it, he's so good. I know Nick Cage is divisive for some people. I don't know why. He's amazing. He's a great actor, and his this is one of his best roles, I think, by far. Uh, it, this movie also stars Meryl Streep and Chris Cooper and some other really talented people. Maggie Gyllenhaal's in it, Tilda Swinton. So needless to say, I love adaptation so much, and I think if you're a person who avoids Nick Cage movies, maybe give this one a try. I, I think it's great. Yeah, I haven't seen... This one or your number five closer, I think. Okay. On your list. So maybe I should check those out sometime when I have time. Yeah, I don't have as much time to watch movies now. I know. Nobody does. It's, yeah. <laughs> Which is why a lot of mine are from like college when I watch Disney movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so yes, on to my number three, which is The Lion King, which is a Disney movie from 1994. Another I've seen I've seen this one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was literally nine the summer that this one came out. So I was like the perfect age for this. Yeah, so uh The Lion King is it's another one with some really good songs, really good villain song. Um I like Be Prepared. I, I like that song a lot. And the Scar's voice is just so good. Um, <laughs> I wonder villain. why that could be. <laughs> um Do you do you know who the actor is that does uh, Scar's voice? Jeremy Irons, right? Yeah, you're yeah. so good. <laughs> but yeah, I liked it as a kid because I was, what was I, six when it came out? So like, yeah, I watched it as a kid and the, it always made me cry. There's a scene in there. I'm not going to say spoilers, but it always made me cry. Um, like even later when I watched it, like every time I watched this movie, I would cry at that scene. I think once as an adult, I didn't cry at that scene. And I was like, oh, I'm, I'm an adult now. <laughs> that was the, the clue. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Lion King, it's very good. It's also like, it's visually really nice. Like there's all these animals and like nice scenery. Like Circle of Life at the beginning looks like really 
that's a, one of the songs at the beginning, the song at the beginning, like, but the cinematics of that, is it still it's called beautiful. cinematics with, with animation? I don't uh, know. Animatics. The animatics. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that, it is just, yeah, it's very beautiful. So yeah, Lion King. My number two, ha- I have for years been struggling with whether it should usurp my number one or not, because my number one is, an, is a slightly older movie, and my number two is the most recent movie in my top five. My number two came out in 2016, and that is Arrival. You all have actually probably heard me mention Arrival <laughs> on the podcast before, mm-hmm. because when we reviewed the board game Rosetta, The Lost Language, we said that this was basically Arrival, the board yep. game. But if you haven't seen Arrival, obviously that uh, reference would not make sense to you. So Arrival is a science fiction movie that is set on Earth where these giant alien structures have kind of flown down and are hovering over the Earth in different locations. And everyone on Earth is trying to figure out how to communicate with them. They don't speak any English and there is no way in there. The language that they speak is seemingly impossible to translate. And Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner play two experts who are brought in to try and communicate with these aliens. I'm not going to give you much more than that because I think the the real beauty of this movie is in discovering the story Mm -hmm. as you watch it. But as someone who is in love with linguistics and etymology, this movie like scratches every part of my brain in the best way. I adore it so much. And not just for the etymology stuff. There's a lot of other things in it to love. Mm -hmm. And the actors and actresses in it are amazing. Forrest Whitaker's also in it. Really talented across the board. And it's visually stunning. I highly recommend watching this one on a very high definition screen if you have the ability to. But yeah, Arrival, it's it's really, really close to being my number one. It's hard for me to remove my number one because it's been my number one for like two decades. But we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So Arrival's my number two. Yeah, Arrival is really good. And I've only seen it once. I, I was trying to do movies that I've watched a lot more because like that probably makes it more of my favorites. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I do want to watch Arrival again sometime. because This I think is... This is one of those rare movies that I saw it in a theater and then as soon as it was done, like the the, the movie ended and we're leaving the theater, I was like, I have to come see this in the theater again. Like that Mm -hmm. is how visually stunning the movie was for me and the subject matter too. But like Mm -hmm. I was, I saw this in theaters. I might've seen it three times. At least twice for sure. you mentioned that. I think. I don't know. And then I have it on Blu-ray and I have i don't know how many times I've watched it. I've also streamed it when I, like, anytime I see it pop up, like, oh, it's on, you know, Netflix or Hulu or whatever. It's hard for me to not watch this movie because I just love it so much. My number two is my favorite Disney movie, <laughs> which is Beauty and the Beast. Um, which I've seen that one too. Yay. So this is the animated one from 1991. Yeah, so when I was a kid, my favorite two were Beauty and the Beast and The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid was my favorite. But like as an adult, Beauty and the Beast is just better. <laughs> so <laughs> The shade for the mermaid, goodness. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, I still like The Little Mermaid, but like Beauty and the Beast, I just like better. And like the yeah. visuals, it's just so... <laughs> so I think like they had done... they It was at a time where they were starting to use computer more for like some of their animation and they have like the scene in the ballroom where they they like go up to the ceiling and it's just so pretty and going with the song and like uh (laughs) it's so Mm -hmm. good yeah so 
just like the whole movie just works together really well the songs are good also i think it was the only animated movie to ever be nominated for best picture because after that they made best animated picture as a category oh yeah so yeah like that's how good it was (laughs) Um, so it's not just me that likes it other people like it too (laughs) no they definitely do in fact a tiny crystal i don't remember how old i was but i definitely dressed up as Belle for halloween Mm. one year and unfortunately the memory in my head is not a pleasant one because in missouri at halloween time occasionally it's really really cold which makes sense it's missouri and that year happened to be particularly cold so my mom made me wear a white turtleneck underneath my bell dress and it ruined the outfit and so i was so mad obviously this is (laughs) not really a bad memory but like I remember being like so angry at my mom for making me wear a turtleneck (laughs) I dressed up as Belle in college but at the town dress so like she has long sleeves and then I had a basket with a book which was a textbook um (laughs) my my math textbook because that had a blue cover (laughs) oh that's great yeah no I was mine was the 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 proverbial gold dress obviously Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so that was Beauty and the Beast, my number two. All right, we've reached my number one. Came out in 2003 and has been a love of mine ever since. And that is Lost in Translation. It is a romantic comedy that was written and directed by Sofia Coppola. And it stars Bill Murray and Scarlett Johansson. It's hard to explain why I like this movie so much. It is very slow paced. It is very chill and i would imagine that a lot of people or some people probably find it too slow and too boring i would not be like if you're a person that thinks that no judgment to you but like it's the right kind of speed and chill for me particularly and i love the dynamic between uh bill murray and scarlett johansson they play these two friends that meet they've never met before they meet at a hotel in japan randomly bill murray is a movie star in the movie he's not playing bill murray he's just playing a random movie star who's kind of gotten older and has been relegated to like weird stuff like commercials and other things like that and scarlett johansson is hanging out while her husband is photographing a band because he's a photographer and they just become friends and start hanging out in japan the the soundtrack is absolutely beautiful the shots are all gorgeous because japan is just absolutely stunning especially some of the locations that this movie shoots in specifically are really really good and i there's a karaoke scene there's (laughs) uh you know like there's a lot of interesting parts of japanese culture that get highlighted in this movie that all are really really fascinating to me as somebody who's never been to japan and it just makes me want to go there i adore this movie so much and it's it, I, Arrival will probably knock it off for me eventually, but I've, I've loved it for almost two decades. So that's my number one, Lost in Translation. Have you seen this one, Ambie? Uh, yes, I've seen it once. Okay. And I enjoyed it, but like I haven't watched it many times. So. Right, right, right. I mean, this is not, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things that just like struck mm-hmm. me, you know? Yeah. So my number one is actually a, a trilogy. <laughs> totally valid <laughs> yeah and and you might guess it if you know it's not disney but it's something else that i like that i've probably that i've mentioned a lot on the podcast before and that is the lord of the rings which came out in 2001 through 2003 i mean it's it's one complete story so like all of the movies i watch them together so i can't just yeah. like 
Yeah, I didn't want to put them as separate entries on the list. No, that makes sense to me. Like, if somebody were to ask you which of the trilogy is your favorite, that's a different question. But I think grouping them together for the purposes of this list is perfectly fine. I think the Two Towers might be my favorite because I like Gollum Smeagol character. And I memorized all his lines. I memorized a lot of lines. Like, in high school, I would quote a bunch of the lines from the movies. And my cousin and I would, like, recite the movies just just for fun like, nice I don't, I don't um and we would have like marathons of watching it while eating seven meals that day well, like really very small meals but <laughs> but yeah so the lord of the rings based off the book the lord of the rings which is also a trilogy it's a it's a fantasy movie about this there's a lot of stuff going on there's there's a one ring that they're trying to destroy because it's evil and there's an evil bad guy and then there's these little creatures called hobbits and they're like people that live in like this really nice place called the shire and they like eating food and it's very nice but then like they are the main characters and they get thrown into this like big world and go on an adventure and have to all this bad stuff happens so um but yeah this it takes place i mean okay the, the movie was filmed in New Zealand. It doesn't take place in New Zealand, but it's very pretty. Like, the, like, there's a lot of shots of very pretty stuff. And it's like, oh, I want to go to New Zealand. And they still have like a bunch of stuff set up where you can, when you go to New Zealand, you can like go to the Shire and see different scenes where they shot the movie, which is kind of cool. And I want to do that someday <laughs> because I like Lord of the Rings a lot. Yeah, but the movies came out when I was, in middle school and high school and like I think I read the books after watching the first movie or something or like as the movies were coming out so it was perfect time for me because I was into reading and like watching movies then and so like and then I rewatched them and watched them a bunch and then my friends in college also really liked them so we watched them in college too since college I haven't really watched many movies so so yeah like still my favorite and I haven't been able to watch them recently but i still remember a lot of it i, I mean they're long so it's not <laughs> yeah, like they you are can just like sit down and quickly power through right <laughs> yeah yeah like each one is three hours and it's a trilogy so pretty long and then the extended versions are even longer <laughs> and i have the extended versions i would actually love to hear from our listeners some of your all's favorite movies or even your guilty pleasure movies so Please head over to our social media channels or our Board Game Geek Guild and let us know what your favorite movies are and if you enjoyed this episode because if you all would like us to do more lists like this in the future about something like TV shows or books, which I've spoiled, or whatever else, or if you have other non-board game related topics that you'd like to hear us talk about in the future, let us know and we will consider it. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, boardgameblitz.com, for video and blog content, as well as to get links to all our social media pages. This episode was sponsored by Grey Fox Games. Head to lastlightgame.com to learn more about the epic Forex game that can be played in one hour. And you can pick up other non-exclusive Grey Fox games for 20% off by using the code BGBLITZ21 at greyfoxgames.com. Grey Fox Games. Quality games cleverly crafted. Join the Blitzketeer community on Discord by following the link in the show notes. You can support the show by leaving us a rating and review on your podcast provider. And if you want behind-the-scenes access and an invite to our private Slack channel, visit patreon.com slash boardgameblitz. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is part of the Dice Town Network. Until next time, let's all go play a board game. 
Let's all go play a board game. Let's all go play a board game and have ourselves some fun. Bye, everyone. Bye. Before we get into the episode, we have a couple of announcements. Uh, First, there's a motorcycle driving. Okay. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, Maybe okay, it's just three announcements. And first, it's a motorcycle. <laughs> All right, let's start, start it out over. Okay. Uh, the Lion King is about a lion <laughs> king. <laughs> 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 <laughs>